You're listening to the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network. This is Drive Time with Travis Wingfield. Back to throw Tua, looking. Flips it down the wide open! <laughs> Touchdown, Tyreek Hill! Unbelievable! Just flew by him for a second time. Tua knew where he was going right away. How the hit is that, though, man? I really hope you soon jump on his bandwagon. Waddle, waddle. To a shotgun, back to throw, looking, steps up, fires, touchdown. Okay. Okay. It's Waddle. His sixth touchdown Six pass touchdown of the game. day. Drive time with Travis Wingfield begins now. Let me check your pulse if you're not fired up. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield. And on today's show, we have just two more parts in our 2022 season review, both on the offensive side of the football. Today, we go to the wideouts and talk Tyreek, Jalen, the entire group of playmakers that gave us the most exciting Dolphins offense we have had in 25-something years. And that's going to be the focus of the episode. I want to talk a little bit about golf and the Dolphins challenge cancer. From the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex, this is the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins. We have two parts remaining, which means I get to drop in the word that I love to use more than just about any. My two favorite words on earth are perpetual. I just think perpetual sounds like the definition of what perpetual means. You know what I mean? And then my other one is penultimate. I don't understand why there's a word for second to last, but I really enjoy the fact that there is. And so I like that quite a lot. This is the penultimate episode of the review series. And then it turns pretty quickly from there to draft free agency we're already through a week of February, so the offseason, we last played a game like a month ago. Doesn't it feel like it was last Sunday to a lot of you guys? A lot of that's being passed here from the fact that I have very <laughs> a very busy parenting schedule with the two kiddos, uh, playing lots of golf these days. We'll talk about that more here in just a moment. And, you know, I suppose just my general excitement about what's going to happen next year and and what this team has ahead of it, I'm, I'm very excited about so many things, and I think I think that's helping push the process along here a little bit. Before we get to the next part of the podcast here, I want to look at the dates from the offseason because we published a picture and I'm currently trying to scroll through while I'm buying time here on the podcast. Probably going to have to pause though because I'm coming up short or empty on finding such things. Um, Yes, go ahead and pause real quick. And the beauty of podcasting is there's no lag time there on the pause. So the off-season schedule, obviously this coming Sunday is the Super Bowl. We've already had the Senior Bowl and the Pro Bowl games and the Shrine Bowl. Again, plenty of draft content coming your way. And then Tuesday, February 21st is the uh, time for teams to designate franchise or transition players. We get the scouting combine February 28th through March 6th. Cannot wait to bring you guys content from Indianapolis once again. Tuesday, March 7th is the deadline for clubs to designate franchise or transition tags. So from the 21st to the 7th, that's a, what, two-week period for franchise tags. That could be a good one this year, man. The quarterback position, especially uh, Lamar Jackson being the primary one in that group. March 13th through the 15th is the legal tampering period. One of the weirdest phrases in the history of phrases But that time is March 13th through the 15th. And then at 4 o'clock Eastern time on the 15th is the new league year. That's when free agency kicks off and we get all kinds of fun action around that time. 
what comes after that. March 26th, the 29th of the league meetings, the annual owners meetings in uh, Phoenix this year. So I won't be going to that like I did in Palm Beach last year. First week of March is when clubs, or April rather, is when clubs can begin their offseason programs. For the Dolphins, it's Monday, April 17th. Uh, you know, teams that have returning coaches begin their offseason programs, 10 OTA practices, and then one mandatory minicamp session in there as well. Wednesday the 19th is a deadline for teams to test, visit, interview, or conduct physical exams with draft-eligible players at their facilities. Friday the 21st is the deadline for restricted free agents to sign their offer sheets. Wednesday, April 26th, is the first or the uh, the deadline for the club to exercise the right of first refusal to restricted free agents. Uh, think about like Nick Needham last year is a good example of that. And then Thursday, April 27th is the NFL draft in Kansas City. Monday, May 1 is a deadline for clubs to exercise the fifth year option on players. So think about Tua Tungavailoa. That would be also Austin Jackson, no Igbenogany, but I think we understand where that's going to go. May 5th through the 8th is when the Dolphins could conduct their uh, rookie minicamp or May 12th through the 15th. That remains up in the air. And then uh, the spring meetings, May 22nd through 24th. And then we get to June when teams wrap their off-season program. So plenty to come your way here uh, this off-season. Like I said, we'll cover it all on drive time. Three episodes a week up until that June mark. And then we go back to two per week when we preview the 2023, almost said two, NFL season. And then we get in training camp and we do the whole damn thing over again. So looking forward to it all. I hope you all enjoy the Kyle Krabs episode, talking some draft prospects. Always a good time getting to know the class. I'm really kind of hitting my stride on the 2023 class tape study. I find that I like to watch the known names and bounce around positions, you know, on a given day even. Like if I watch everybody at one position, I've noticed sometimes my personal lines get blurred a little bit. Like, oh, who who made that play that I liked? I forget which safety it was I watched, right? So I'm really knocking out the known prospects, the projected day one, day two picks, but a busy time of year for all of that and ahead of free agency, which obviously comes first. One position group we saw the Dolphins very active at retooling last year was the wide receivers and boy, did it work out. Tyreek Hill arrives. Jalen Waddle shows you exactly why he was the sixth pick in the 2021 draft as they break records, stifle opposing defenses, and prove that the Dolphins have a pair of top 10 wide receivers in this league. And I feel slightly vindicated there for my own analysis purposes. Waddle's a great example of the numbers and results not matching the process and the quality of the player from that 2021 season. And it's hilarious to say that since he broke the NFL record for rookie receptions, but the 8.9 yards per catch, whatever it was, it was an indictment on the usage and the actual production compared to what his tape showed. Because when you watch the tape, there was so much meat on the bone with the way he ran his routes. Like I, there was so many games and you guys heard the podcast where I was like, there was a hundred yards that Waddle didn't get that he should have gotten in this game based upon how he runs his routes, how he creates separation. And my favorite part of his game, which I think is is present in every single player that's as good as Jalen Waddle is, is the competitive spirit that he offers. What an absolute stud. So that was the top of the room, but the depth and the quality was evident throughout. I thought this was a well-constructed room that gave you a little bit of everything. And, and I loved the rotation to keep guys fresh to get different looks based upon different strengths for who was on the field, to alter your tendencies accordingly. I don't know how you can watch this team and come away without a great deal of respect for Trent Sherfield and the work he did in the blocking game, but also gave us some big-time catches and perhaps, best of all, running his routes with a desire 
to complete the decoy aspect of it to create openings for others. Like there was the, uh, you know, I'm rewatching the season right now on the broadcast, and I just finished up the Buffalo game, uh, the first one back in week three, and the 45-yard the strike from Tua to Waddle. On that play, Sherfield holds that hook linebacker. I mean, he's not going to run with Waddle anyway, but you see the way he kind of gets the defense to adjust to his presence based upon the way he ran that route and showed numbers of the quarterbacks right at the sticks. And I think my biggest takeaway from this room, you know, talented as they are, is the way they play the game, man. I think it starts up top with Coach Wes Welker, who I think you can make a strong argument for assistant of the year on the football team. They practice relentlessly. They play the same way. I'm a huge fan of what they built here in that receiver's room, and I'm really curious to see what happens at that spot this offseason and how you can find ways to get even better than what we saw. So that's kind of your group at a glance. Let's go over the individuals here after talking about the team stats from this position. No tight ends included here. 248 catches across the receivers for 3,741 yards and 20 touchdowns. The last time the Dolphins had that production at wide receiver was back in the um, O.J. McDuffie, Irving Fryer days. So just think about that for a second. And Tyreek's had the franchise mark for receiving yards. Uh, Jalen had the third most in club history. Together, they had the third most yardage for any teammate tandem in NFL history, 3,066. Only four tandems have ever gone over 3K total. And listen to the company they keep right here. Herman Moore and Brett Perriman. And you might be saying, who are those guys? Well, if you weren't born in the 90s, or if you weren't around in the 90s, Herman Moore was the friggin' man. And Brett Perriman is Brashad Perriman's father, and he's been a pretty, he was a good player uh, in his day. Torrey Holt and Isaac Bruce. I, I know you guys know those names, and I know you for sure know Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders. And I was thinking about those teams. You know, Scott Mitchell had really good stats in that 1995 season for the Detroit Lions and had a pretty decent career. Torrey Holt and Isaac Bruce. Kurt Warner, we know about that, obviously. And then Thomas and Sanders, Peyton Manning. So it's just another one of these things, man, where like Tua, <laughs> the, the, the narrative this offseason, I'm getting into quarterback talk here, was that Tua couldn't play, right? That's why I talk about changing the narrative. We all heard about how he couldn't play. Now you're telling me he's got to stay healthy and all these things. I get the goalposts are going to move because it's easier to move goalposts than it is to say that I was wrong on something. But every time we do one of these, two is up there with these freaking Peyton Manning and Patrick Mahomes. Like, golly, man, call a spade a spade at some point. I'm talking to myself at this point from my Twitter run-ins, but whatever. Back to Tyreek and Jalen. They were number one and number three in yards per route ran, a pro football focus stat that really nails down the top 10 receivers for my money every single year. Tyreek was one. Justin Jefferson was two. Jalen Waddle was three. They were number one and number five in yards per target. My next favorite receiver stat, Jalen was actually one. Tyreek fifth in that one. And Jalen led the NFL in yards per reception. Not bad at all. The individuals, number 10, Tyreek Hill. I mean, what else can you say about the guy's skill set? I mean, explosive as hell. The way he practices has a certain demeanor and tone around here. The standard that he allows the coaches to coach him with. McDaniels talked about that at length with how he can set an example by saying, hey, Tyreek, this wasn't good enough, man. And Tyreek's accountable about it and says, like, doesn't, you know, fight back against those coaching points in the meeting room. And that sets the standard for the rest of the football team because it's Tyreek Hill, seven Pro Bowl, seven seasons. Like, that's a great thing to have in your building. The way he sets up his routes is the best thing about his game that no one seems to really talk about besides the, the deep uh, X's and O's you know, analysts we get out there. But the way he doesn't shortchange his routes, like, oh, there's an opening, I'll just settle into that. No, I'm going to keep pushing up. I'm going to take that extra step and widen this dude even further to make the window bigger for my quarterback, to make it more on time with his drop. Like Tyreek is so good about being deliberate 
in the way he plays the game. 119 catches, 1,710 yards, eight total touchdowns. Number 11, Cedric Wilson Jr. It didn't work out the way we all hoped it would and thought it would. 12 catches, a buck 36, no touchdowns. Saw some, some plays late. That catch against the Bills stands out. I'm really, this is the most interesting name in the room to me because he got the big contract before you trade for Tyreek Hill. That role kind of changes after that, obviously. And the production just wasn't there. Um, but I think the skill is there. Uh, the contract and the production does not match up at all. So what do you do there? I'm really curious to see what happens. Do you think that maybe a second year in the system can expand that? We know this is a tough system to learn. You pump so many balls to 10 and 17. Maybe there's an offshoot chance he is that guy to kind of take some of the pressure off the top two guys. He wasn't that this past year, but he is the most intriguing player in this room for that reason uh, coming into the offseason. Number 14, Trent Sherfield did take that role, and we saw him do it all through camp. Like He earned his way into that position, 30 grabs, 417 yards, two touchdowns. I still want that damn touchdown back in the Detroit game for both he and Tua Tungabailoa. That was a touchdown, man. Give it to him, although Alec Engel probably wants it as well, so we'll keep it that way. But Sherfield's game, man. The way he comes in motion off those fly sweeps and right into a lead block where he has to kind of like change directions and and shift his momentum back inside and kind of crack after running back wide, like everything he did in the blocking game, all those wide runs, all the big runs, all the the quick hitters to the outside for receivers to hit explosives. I I would say like this is just throwing a number out there. Ninety percent of those had to come from Trent Sherfield making you know making something happen. Uh, he was awesome this year. Number seventeen, Jalen Waddle, seventy five catches, thirteen hundred and fifty six yards, eight touchdowns. And it's it's kind of like Tyreek in the sense that. The release package is phenomenal. I don't see him get pressed too often. The Dolphins do a good job of using motion to create space for him. The run after the catch, we finally got a chance to see it this year. I was telling you all through 2021, if we run some routes for this guy where he's not stationary or coming back to the quarterback and we get him running to the goal line, then you'll see some explosive plays. We saw plenty of that, man. He was he made more big plays than Tyreek Hill did this year. Think about that for a second. Number 18, Eric Ezukama, one for three in that final game of the year. No touchdowns, obviously. And he's like Cedric Wilson, man. He's one of those guys, and we talked about him on the important players part of the podcast, right? If he can elevate his game to a certain level, then that kind of gives you some leeway about addressing this position in the offseason. Big, big, big offseason for Cedric Wilson Jr. and Eric Ezukama. Number 85, River Craycraft, nine grabs, 102 for two touchdowns. Go Cougs, just solid, dependable. Number five, number six receiver, special teams guy. Very good in that role, but he too, like Sherfield, is a free agent. And then we have one player on a futures contract, Braylon Sanders. Uh, remember when we had... Um, Emery Hunt on the podcast, and he told me the two the two undrafted rookies he thinks makes the team are Braylon Sanders and Cater Kohu. Good call on that one, Emery. Uh, Braylon had two for 17 and no touchdowns last year, but he was really good in camp. Curious to see him come back this offseason as well. I just can't wait to see year two in this offense in general. Like Going from the original installs and learning the system to having it be second nature, working more on fundamentals within your present knowledge, the ability to add wrinkles, layers, and expand the playbook. I think you have the potential to say you're just scratching the surface on what this passing game can be with these highly, highly skilled weapons you have at the receiver position. I keep thinking about the coach, uh, the comment that coach made about Waddle's jump last year from the offseason program to training camp, taking all the knowledge of those installs and spring work and coming back in the summer with such an understanding of all of that. That's going to be you know, tenfold this coming off season. I'm excited, man. I cannot wait for all of it to get here. Let's go ahead and take our first break and come back on the other side and talk about what's looking, what it's looking like on the receiver market this off season. That's next drive time podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield brought to you by AutoNation. Snag a job is where America goes to hire 
with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Segment two on a hump day on a Wednesday here on the Drive Time Podcast. We closed up the first segment talking about the receivers and house. Let's go ahead and take a look at what might be out there. And, you know, I'm not really sure, like I, I mentioned with uh, Ezukama and Cedric Wilson and what happens with their roles in 2023 dictates a lot of what I think happens here. And that's that's the conversation happening on the other side of the building about, you know, what do we have, what do we need, and who can fill those needs I could see running it back entirely. Maybe you try to trade a contract like Wilson's to a team that you know needs to get that salary floor up and, and needs a receiver as well. Like the Chicago Bears is a good example of that. Um, you definitely need Azukama to step up if you do that. It's like you can't lose one guy and not get someone else stepping up. But I don't think that you're looking at any you know bank breaking options here at all. I mean, Miami's investment in the position has been vast. You know, Jalen Waddle number six overall pick, Tyreek Hill, five draft picks for him, and uh, last year's fourth-round investment in Ezukama. I do think Miami does need more production from that number three receiver, whoever it is. Is that Trent? Is it Ezukama? Is it a newcomer? We'll find that out. Um, some options for the latter there, the newcomer option. I'm not going to even include my tiers here because I, I just don't think you're that invested in the market. Given this landscape as well of what's out there, it's a seller's market or I, I suppose a player's market. Jacoby Myers is a very good player. Very good, like solid number two receiver in my money. But the PFF contract predictor has him at like 13 million APY. I just don't know about that. Uh, Byron Pringle's a guy that kind of jumped off the list at me for his speed and yak ability. Olamide Zacchaeus from the Falcons is a very good number three who played more of a two or one role for them the last couple of years because they just haven't been good at that position. Uh, Rashad Higgins is a guy that I'm intrigued by. He's kind of got that Cedric Wilson build and explosiveness, but can play inside. He's also played in the Kevin Stefanski offense, so there's some carryover there. Ultimately, two of the most attractive names here to me are Sherfield and Craycraft. Like, honestly, um, I think bringing them back makes a ton of sense. Their knowledge in the offense was super helpful this year, I think. Additionally, would you guys want like Jarvis Landry back? Maybe at a much more reasonable figure than what he wanted last time around. I never understood that guy being a $16 million per year player, but you know, is he a $2 million per player guy like this time around? Maybe. Is he still having that in the tank? I'm not really sure. I haven't watched his tape the last couple of years, but uh, I can see him kind of playing that Sherfield role. I like Demir Bird for his speed. Uh, Noah Brown was a solid number three in Dallas. I like Paris Campbell's draft tape. He hasn't been that good in the Colts, but uh, this is the type of guys you get in these low bargain type of contracts, right? I just don't know where you go here. We'll see, but I tend to think bringing back your own and then maybe expecting more from Ezukama, Sanders, and Cedric Wilson could be the route here. In the draft, it's kind of the same. I mean, I can't imagine those day two picks 
the Dolphins have, the three of them, going after receivers. Like I mentioned, you know, going for Jalen with the sixth pick, Tyreek five draft picks, and taking Ezukama in the fourth last year. Stanford's Michael Wilson was awesome at the Senior Bowl. I think he began the week a day three pick, and now he's day two. Uh, Puka Nakua from BYU has an awesome name and had a better week at the Senior Bowl. Fluid mover, good contested catcher. Ronnie Bell from Michigan, someone that I'm tr- intrigued by. Just watching those Michigan games, like on third and five, he would go run a, a slot fade or something and go make a play on a football contested. I just like the way he plays. Tank Dell was another guy from the Senior Bowl who just couldn't be covered. And really, that's how he was all year on the Houston tape. Nathaniel Dell's his actual name. He goes by Tank. That's about as much as I've got for now, man. Like, literally, the position group I'll get to last when I watch the tape because I, what I said earlier, you know, regarding needs and resource allocation, I just don't think it's all there. So um, there you go. Those are your receivers. And as I was putting this together, I was thinking about our top 10 videos we did for social and YouTube and, and the podcast as well. And man, like we had so many plays that those lists were a challenge to put together because there were some damn good plays that got left on the cutting room floor. I would argue some top five plays from years past were left on the cutting room floor. Like if you took a few of these plays and transported them back to like, well, 2009, like 2010, like top plays <laughs> would be on that list. And going back to like 2016, your top three or four or five plays even, because there were some really, really high level execution plays that kind of got forgotten because of all the big plays we had on offense. So these are the added parts, added plays, I should say, that I want to just put in a category that I wouldn't consider honorable mention because they're good, but rather just further context for how well this group played this season. Like the slip screen touchdown to Waddle in Baltimore. You know, the blocking they had out in front of that play. Sherfield hits a big one like always, and then Liam gets out in space for a big pancake block, and Waddle has the wiggle to navigate his way into the end zone where he then waddles. Uh, you could add another one from that game, the scramble broken play where Tua found Craycraft in that little spin pirouette move. What a move that was, and a great job by Craycraft to follow his quarterback and angle back to the quarterback to get a, a open target in the end zone. The very next week, Tua jams that touchdown throw into Craycraft with three Bills defenders around him. Great route to not round that thing off, come back to the football, make a tough contested catch, and what an absolute seed that was that just stuck the football between the eight and the five before he even got into the break off the top of the stem. That's to a superpower, man. It's so fun to watch when he's on. Uh, how about the fade to Waddle for a touchdown in Detroit? Man, that was, I think, the best throw of his career. I don't, I don't know. It's, he's got a lot of those throws, but... You get press man coverage for Jalen with a two-way go, and his release gets him on top immediately. Tua sees it, hits the top of the drop, throws it early, and to time that throw with a guy that has 4-2 speed, to hit him in stride, like that is such a low percentage throw, even though he was open and had the defensive back stacked. And then the acceleration you saw with the ball in the air, that's what Tua missed his first couple of years as a pro, was that player to go get the football. And I know Jalen was here, but he didn't run routes like that his first year here. He caught the back of the ball, full extension at full speed. That's a tough catch to make. High-level football. Stuff like that is what really makes me appreciate professional football. Like, you couldn't have defended that play. You just couldn't have done it. How about the 56-yard touchdown to Tyreek in Los Angeles on third down on a perfectly thrown ball on a takeoff? Are you kidding me? Remember when like Tannehill was here and we wanted to see him hit long balls to Mike Wallace? We, we love those training camp videos we got. A 56-yard dime to Tyreek Hill on third down and primetime football didn't make the list. Think about that. And we're talking mostly touchdowns here, but man, this was consistent all year long. That third down shot to Tyreek against the Lions for a, a big chunk of yards. The other one earlier in the game coming back to the football for a huge gainer. That little wheel against the Bears that he hit up the sidelines. Tua and Tyreek found that connection early and often, and it's only going to get better in year two. And think about how crazy this is. 
a 67-yard throw from Tua to Jalen for a touchdown wasn't mentioned in the top 10. I'm speculating on this, but I'm certain that if you go back to the Marino days, there isn't a season where that play isn't top 10. I'm sure there's a season where it's not top five. That's how long the list was this year. Beautiful throw, great route, and that's where you see Waddle's speed at its peak. The distance he created between the rest of the defense by the time he found the end zone was just crazy, man. And this isn't a touchdown, but how about the long ball against the Packers of Tyreek? It wasn't that dissimilar to the deep shot touchdown against the Ravens in week two, where he drifts to an area of the pocket that's free of congestion so he can step up into that deep shot, and he just drops it right in the bucket right over the defender. And the way Tyreek makes these plays with that concentration to catch the ball, man, so nice. And speaking of the concentration, the one against the Bengals from Teddy Bridgewater where it gets tipped and he's still running full speed and reaches back and plucks it out uh, after the deflection. I just really personally enjoyed the aerial show we were treated to this year. And again, with a full off season uh, in this offense, your own tape to go off of. Man, I'm pumped up about that. Let's go ahead and take our second break right there and come back on the other side and talk about uh, some non-football related things like the DCC and playing some golf. We'll also touch on some defense and some potential uh, scheme and alignment fits. That's next Drive Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Before we get to my non-Dolphins items, I wanted to look at this with regards to the new defense. And we'll have the deep dive for y'all on Vic Fangio when that move becomes official. And I'm really excited to share that podcast with all of you, doing a deep dive on his career, the defense he runs, and with a guest who is going to teach you a lot about the game of football. But in the meantime, I wanted to look at this, uh, various fronts and packages and the options we have there. Let's go ahead and start on the back end. Uh, for a potential scheme shift. And as we discussed at length, the use of dime and half dollar packages that this defense has traditionally called upon, you know, the one that we expect to have here this coming season, six and seven defensive backs. And the beauty about this is you can use corners or safeties. So Miami's interchangeability at the safety position with guys like Javon who can cover Brandon Jones, I don't think the production has been there as much as the ability is there to do it, but I think it's going to get better as we go along. Maybe another new addition that executes that and accentuates that ability, like a Jordan Poyer or someone. I don't know. Maybe. A hope. We'll see what happens. Uh, You can sort of forego the price tag that you have to pay for an elite cornerback because the the cost of safeties is just a cheaper route and you can get similar results because of the way this defense works. So as long as you have, you know, your healthy Xavier Howard and the guy on the other side, whether that's, I don't know, Byron or Nick or someone else, to me, the slot is safe, is cater and the safeties in the slot position. So who it is on the outside, I don't know. But envision like Javon, 
Brandon, Poyer, X, Needham, Cater, like a package like that for your dime defense. I like that quite a lot. Now, where there's more variance is up front, you know, multiple fronts, multiple groupings. And man, we have the guys to maximize that front. I think that's why you're so enticed to get a coach like that and a scheme like that and really capitalize on the system. The personnel was starting to not match the old system, so you might just get a big bump from this move alone. In fact, I expect that to happen. And that might be all you need to step up and challenge Buffalo for the AFC East. I mean, that's the idea, right? So I was looking at a couple of the different fronts that are uh, commonplace with this, uh, you know, this zone, zone multi-front defensive back heavy laden defense that has hybrid coverages and fire blitz fire zones and you know different uh rotations and and communications and things that disguise so well and one of the primary fronts is called the tight front and this is a perfect front for a team that has christian wilkins and zach sealer two four eye techniques what does that mean off the inside shoulder of the offensive tackle with a nose tackle inside which is raekwon davis in this example and then two guys off the edge who are essentially nine alignments, which is really out wide with Phillips and Chubb, and you can include Emmanuel Ogba in that group as well. But I think he might be more fit for different fronts. We'll talk about that here right now. Because you can also flip this to an even front, and you can add the defensive back. Like take the nose off the field, and you've got a one technique, you know, sealer, I think. Three technique would be Wilkins. Uh, one technique is just one shoulder off the center, and your three technique is off the outside shoulder of a guard and then uh, your fives you know Ogba and Phillips would be my five techniques off the outside shoulder of either tackle and what's best about this is you have reductions based upon the offensive personnel lining up with a wrinkle so say you're expecting a tight end to the strength of the formation and he flexes out or he goes to the weak side of the formation you can reduce that five to a four eye technique kick, kick him over a gap or into a three technique two two gaps and that's why it's so valuable to have these guys that can play inside out. We saw Phillips do it. We saw Wilkins and, and Sealer do it their whole careers. Uh, we've seen Ogba do it. It's a really good scheme fit. And from there, the tough front is a nose and then two, three techniques and that same linebacker alignment. I think the ultimate key here is that Miami is already equipped to do it. And the nice, really, really nice part about that is it allows you to identify your specific needs and attack them because when you shop for roles that I think the Dolphins front needs at this point, that comes at a discount. Like a pure nose tackle who only does nose tackle stuff and has to take like 400 snaps a year, that's not very expensive. Where a player like Wilkins, who's going to play 1,000 snaps and play six different roles, it's a premium cost. So by making this shift, not only does Miami get better, they stand to get even better just based on needing only roles to round out that front seven, though I would argue a do-everything linebacker is a need. All right. I want to finish up with two things here, both not about football and one's not even Dolphins related at all. And that is the fact that your boy is really getting into golf. Travis golfs a lot, man. I want to hear your feedback. I played the Plantation Reserve over the weekend. It's an expensive course, man. Buck 12 for a round and cart. But I see why, man. What a beautiful course that is, man. I love the game. But the best part about golf for me is getting out in nature and just enjoying the serenity and the sights and sounds, especially when you have a two-month-old who just cries all the time. (laughs) I love you, Cameron, but it's nice to get a break here once in a while. And frankly, you know, this might might disappoint some friends back home. South Florida golf is way better than Northwest golf. First of all, I'm playing in January and pants in a polo. That's nice. And there are some beautiful courses up in the Northwest, but we saw this orange, black, and yellow iguana who, no joke, was at least 10 feet long just chilling. Where are you going to see that? You're in a freaking zoo playing golf. And we saw a snapping turtle who I really wanted to put a golf ball in front of and watch him try to chomp that thing down, but I'm going to respect the uh, 
respect the preserve, but he was the size of a basketball. He was a big MFer. We played on uh, Sunday with all that crazy weather, so we got crazy cool sunsets with storm clouds. I just love that juxtaposition where you have sunset on one side, like towards the uh, Everglades, then you have the storm clouds on the coming over the ocean. Just absolutely breathtaking with these really cool contrasting like orange and pink with dark blue and gray and, and the, the green of all the shrubbery and, and branches and bush and all that stuff. Like absolutely breathtaking and I'm a sucker for SLX like that. But I want to hear from you. Tell me your favorite courses down here. The best values, which is very important because it's expensive as hell down here. Have you got some tips for me? Like uh, I suck at putting. You know, anything and everything. We're, gonna, we're to the point in the calendar where I start mixing in some non-football content here. And I think golf is a pretty universal language, especially among football players and fans. So we'll maintain that theme. This was my second outing of the summer. Shot a 94. Very proud of that 94 because I played by the letter, letter of the law. No breakfast ball, no gimmies, no relief from objects, that type of thing. And again, like Happy Gilmore, once I get my putting dialed, once I put six months in with Chubbs before joining the tour, I think I'll be able to get an eight on the first part of that number on my scorecard in no time. But man, I am all the way in. Lastly, DCC is coming up. I want to hear from y'all on this too. Are you guys going? Are you participating? Are you riding the bike? Are you doing the 5K? Uh, we're planning on going out there and I think walking the 5K or maybe just hanging out. I'm not sure yet. February 25th, the largest fundraiser in the NFL is happening again and we'll have a whole day celebrating this awesome, awesome event that galvanizes the community. Our first year doing it without Jason Jenkins, but we're going to do it in his memory because he just kind of was, he was the man behind this, man. He's the reason it is what it is. Um, but players, coach will be out there. We'll have all kinds of personnel out there and we'll have plenty of content covering the event as well. So February 25th, Saturday, get out there to Hard Rock Stadium. That's where the the, uh, the finish line comes across for DCC. Really proud of that event. It's our, kind of our, our, our baby here in the off season. And we hope to see you guys all out there on February 25th in the morning. I'm not sure the times yet, but uh, yeah, it's coming up. That's the podcast today. Did you guys enjoy it? I did. Um, you all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. You can follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank Podcast with Seth and Juice. Check out the team YouTube channel for Dolphins Today, media availabilities, and all kinds of content there. And last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up, Caroline and Cameron. Daddy's coming home.